two comics Wait, pals Sh- book Sean, club. Sorry, sorry, Sean. Oh. Start it off one more time. Okay. No yeah, worries. I said I get Ready? the video recording going. Oh shit. Okay. <laughs> that might help good thing good thing we uh started that zoom recording (laughs) all right here we go hello and welcome to the march 2022 comics pals book club i am joined i'm your host by the way sean and i am joined by kale that's me and tyler that's sometimes me (laughs) oh interesting he's got an identity crisis going on uh we're, oh, we're here. doing identity crisis today. Is that what we're doing? Not this Shit. time. Not this time. But uh, maybe in the future. It's got to be here. coming down the pipe. Yeah. Right. What we're here to talk about, though, is Batman Year One. So Batman Year One, of course, is the one of the 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 seminal Batman stories. Uh, it's by uh, Frank Miller, who did the the writing only. For this one uh, with uh, art by David Mazzuccelli, um, colors by Richmond Lewis and letters by Todd Klein. This book was put out in 1987. So that makes it over 30 years old. And it don't feel like that. Um, I have so many thoughts. I actually was giddy reading this because I haven't read year one in a few years now. It's been quite some time. It's been and... 30 over 30 years, right? Since <laughs> Well, then I guess I started really reading at an early age. Cause uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm so excited to talk about this book. Uh, I, I can't wait to hear what you guys think. I actually have no clue what your thoughts are about the book. Um, so we'll be diving into that before we get into that though. I do want to uh, let you guys know how you can support the show youtube.com slash the comics pals make sure you guys subscribe leave a like on the video uh drop us a comment if you want to chat with us if you're a listener and you're interested in having us hear your thoughts please do leave a comment it's always appreciated twitch.tv slash the comics pals where we go live every single saturday at 10 a.m eastern for the main show and wednesdays at six for pals pulls that's our review show or weekly review show uh, listen to last month's book club, Doom Patrol, by Grant Morrison, crawling out, of the, crawling out of the Wreckage. That was a really good one. And come hang out with us. Join our Discord server. We're always having a great time over there. Now, let's let's talk into let's talk let's talk about Year One. I want to start with what's your relationship to Year One? How did you first sort of experience it or come to know it? Kale, okay, let's start with you, man. I think the first time I read this was in comic book school, actually. Mm. <clears throat> that that makes the most sense to me. Um, I feel like I've read every before that. I would have read just about everything around this. You got your long Halloween, your dark victory, your keep going dark you got returns <laughs> um, yeah it would have been dark knight returns strikes again <clears throat> um but uh yeah year one i don't know i especially with the big guys the year one sort of i don't always go for it mm. um but appropriately i i read this in uh in comic book school and um man even now i got the deluxe edition what do you guys know which one you man i have this one? a trade from 2005 so it's I pretty think, old 
I so I just I bit into Amazon one last time. Uh, listen to our most recent episode, and you'll find <laughs> out why. <clears throat> Won't be most recent when they hear it, but eh, whatever. <laughs> they can figure it out. Um, but uh, so I was looking through some of Frank Miller's scripts and the way it gets translated, and man, oh man, this fucking guy. Tyler, uh, what's your relationship to the book, man? So for me, um, way back, probably going 10 years now, um, I used to work at a Barnes & Noble. I was a bookseller there, where I, I would sometimes get confused as an Asian woman by some of the older clientele there, but besides the point, besides the point. Um, <laughs> happened more than once. Um, but I would, I was, uh, I kind of took it upon myself. My boss didn't ask me to do this, but our graphic novel section would be a fucking mess all the time. Mm. Um, so I remember I would organize it and I would literally go against what corporate uh, guidance would be for that section. And I would just put all the books I like near the, near there. And I remember finding this book in it and then thinking, oh, this looks pretty interesting. Um, and I kind of just read it downstairs. I took it off the shelf and I read it down there. I didn't pay for it or anything. I just read it then, um, which was fine. You know, I, I really liked it, but uh, I didn't really kind of i didn't really get into the book until i did it for the long box when we were doing a short box for it um i think matt was the one who recommended it at the time because uh, frank miller back then and this is probably going three maybe four years um well it wasn't a blind spot for me i just didn't really get into it like i had it i hadn't even read born again at that point you know and I have a daredevil tattoo, so <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was kind of a, a blind spot for me, uh, pun intended. Um, but after reading it for the long box, I uh, this is like one of my favorite books, and it's not it doesn't even have to do with Frank Miller, which we'll which we'll get to, but like in terms of like mm -hmm. some of the most timeless art that has ever been in a comic book, Mazzucchelli's art in this is like the real star of the show for me. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that that's kind of my history with it. it, it I've had. I've been introduced to this book twice, in a way. So for me, I think I'm pretty sure this is the first Batman story I ever read in a comic. Like literally, the first mm. time I saw Batman in a comic, I'm pretty sure it was this, mm. um, because I I was one of the first things I picked up from DC. I was kind of afraid of jumping into DC, but I looked at like what are the best Batman stories, and I saw this one, and I was like, oh well, if it's year one, this is the start. I'll start here. Um, and that's what I chose to do. And I was blown away. Um, I, I, I had a lot of confusion because there were things that didn't jive with what I knew about Batman, which was the movies that had been out at the time and the animated series. So like, for example, I didn't really get why Catwoman was black. I didn't understand why Jim Gordon was like cheating on his wife. You know, like I didn't understand why his wife's name was Barbara, but he's got a child named Barbara. Wait, wait. Like I was go ahead. Can I stop you real quick? Yeah. <laughs> Catwoman's black? I always thought of her as black. What, in after reading this book or prior yeah, to reading? after reading or this book. Because I didn't understand why the Halle Berry Batman movie had her as uh, Batman. Catwoman movie because she's black. And I'm like, wait, Catwoman's not black. But then I oh, saw okay, this okay. and I was like, okay. oh, Catwoman is black in the original <laughs> comics. That's what I thought at the time. So, okay, I was, I didn't read... The Catwoman is black in this at all. Okay. I, I didn't either, actually. 
Oh, interesting. I, I, okay. maybe you're right. I, I, I've literally always thought she was black in this. So, and then I didn't understand why in the long Halloween they made her white. I was like, wait, what happened? <laughs> so I guess that makes sense. Superhero but. comics in the '80s, unless they had black in the title, they weren't black. Sean, come on. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but so there were some things that I didn't quite understand, but um, I found a lot to love in it. It was amazing. It was a great intro to Batman. I think that the entire creative team did a phenomenal job. Uh, real quick, I do want to just talk a little bit about the history of this book and why it exists. Uh, so they they had put out uh, the first crisis, uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, and they you know wiped continuity for the most part. And they had this Batman who they had a blank slate for along with the Superman and Wonder Woman, and they wanted to see how they could push these characters into the modern era. They felt that Superman and Wonder Woman were really close to where they needed to be, but Batman was actually the furthest along, which is weird to think about now, um, especially because Dark Knight Returns had just hit. Um, but so they said, well, let's let's make Batman sort of darker. Let's make him closer to the ground. A lot of that zany stuff is not great. And Batman wasn't selling. So uh, they had a conversation about what to do. Frank Miller agreed to tell the origin you know he had done the end which was returns now he did the origin um and he brought on Mazzuchelli who we had worked on um born again with right um i believe so um and so they have they, they worked together and they came on to do this one and uh the rest is history um yeah fact check me on that because i could be i could be uh mistaken there but um that's the history of the book so it's only four issues. Um, it was originally supposed to be a graphic novel, but then, you know, editorial was like, nah, let's help the sales of the main Batman book, um, which was probably smart because the book started to average 190,000 copies sold during this run. So <laughs> fans were excited for Miller and Mazzuchelli's uh, Batman. And um, yeah, I mean, it would go on to basically shape Batman storytelling for ever since for the next 30 something years uh here now sean you said this was 87 right yeah okay so this would have been right right after dark knight returns mm -hmm. okay so i can see what they would have liked about that darker more grounded grittier batman and then deciding hey let's do this exactly and the sales on that batman. were you know major so it just made all the sense in the world oh, um one of the good I was gonna say one of the good things about them selling so much of this series is that you can still find it like at cons. Seriously. Like super affordable too. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, and it should be like that, right? Like it yeah. shouldn't be the case that books like this ever go out of print or are ever <laughs> hard to find. Like this should always be uh, available. But go ahead. Especially because it's year one. Like you would right. think the, the origin, at least the origin story should be the most accessible. Yeah. Um, and, and it was, it was, they, they did team up on born again. That was, yep. yeah. Yep. Um, go ahead, Tyler. Is this the like first real year one? What do you mean? In terms mm. of like a concept. Um, oh, hmm. first like year one adding, title. Yeah. Adding year one to something. Cause I feel like DC has done it plenty of times since because this has so much cachet, you know, behind it, but I feel like Marvel's done it too. You know, like it became a concept after this. 
Um, yeah. Is the advent of that? I feel like this is the earliest one I could think of. In an official sense, I would yeah. imagine so. Mm. Yeah. The concept probably had been done, maybe, but um, in an official way, yeah, I would say so. Um, so let's let's jump into it. Let's jump into it. Uh, I want to start with what I think is probably the most defining element of this book, which is the way that it tells Bruce's origin. Um, Miller doesn't really waste time with, you know, some of the more heavy, granular aspects of Bruce's origin. You know, he doesn't really deal with the death of his parents. Um, that's something that just happens on a couple of panels. Uh, he doesn't deal at all with what Bruce did in the intervening years. Um, so we don't see him from that moment where his parents die until he comes back to Gotham. And we hear that he's been gone for 13 years or something like that. And we see none of that, really. Um, that first issue really, really moves at a breakneck pace. And I think that that's to the benefit of the story because it really does cut the fat. Um, Bruce's origin, even by this point, was probably something that most people knew. And this said, cool, I'm going to play off that. And if you don't know it, you got enough knowledge. You don't need much more than this. This is the essential origin. And we see, though, that at the beginning, he kind of sucks. He's got his mission statement. He knows what he wants to do. Um, but he's not good at it. And he's learning that people don't fear him. Gotham is a dark, violent place. And he's a regular white dude who maybe he knows martial arts. That's cool. But I have knives and guns. Like, what are you doing? You know? Um and he realizes that the fear factor is what's missing. So he tries to figure out what he should do. And a bat flies through his window. And he says to himself, you know, father, I finally know what I must do. I must become a bat. I shall become a bat, rather. And personally, even reading that now as a jaded comics fan, it hit me. Again, it probably hit me harder than it did the first time because of how much more I understand Batman and his motivations since then. So my question for you guys is, is that moment iconic to you in the same way that it was when you first saw it? Do you feel like it's corny? Does it hold up as as a moment, as a as a as a piece of Batman's history? That moment in general or the one or the version from year one? The, uh, the version from year one, this specific, uh, no. Um, it doesn't, this particular version doesn't actually hold that much, much water for me. Hmm. Um, I do like the moment, like in general, I think it, as corny as it is for the time it came from, I think it does actually make a lot of sense. Hmm. Um, but the um, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, um, I, as I was reading this this time, I was realizing how much of the origin stuff in that film comes from this. Um, and it's it's watered down and sort of kid friendly, but it's still really good. Mm -hmm. Um, and so in in that film, uh, Bruce goes through all the same things. You know, he's fighting biker gangs and and you know disguising himself and he gets a in a fight on a bridge and uh, with some motorcycle thugs 
and then he goes home to the cave and he's he's found it and he's working out his mission and uh all the bats fly out of the cave and that's when he goes oh yeah i've got it Hmm. um for me it i still i still really like it in, in year one um i think i just did a quick google search for the original panel from his original origin which it's kind of the same premise except he's just sitting on his chair in a full suit just mulling life and then a bat just flies in through his open window and he's like oh yeah i'll be about i shall become a bat that way i think this kind of the year one version kind of contextualizes it in a more accurate way um where he is driven to the brink of insanity because he is so messed up he is beat up he's probably got some like cte going on right now um he's probably not thinking correctly and then it makes a bat crash through his window, which is a lot more violent and, and uh, scary, mm-hmm. which I think mm-hmm. lends to him using that as a, because the one thing he keeps uh, talking about is like, they don't fear me. They don't fear me. So this mm-hmm. giant bat flying through your window and crashing through it is scary. Um, even though I'm sure Australians deal with it all the time. There's, there's stuff <laughs> down there that's going on. Um, but I think contextualizing it in this like, uh, maddened haze from being, you know, on death's door an entire night. Dude gets stabbed, beat up, and in a car accident in the same night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just goes home. Yeah, yeah. Um, luckily he is, he has enough strength to ring a bell at least. Uh, but then all that <laughs> a bat still flies in through his window. Like I honestly, I would have called it quits at that point. That's just yeah. too much for one day. <laughs> yeah. I got beat up. I got a car accident. I was stabbed, and now a bat's flown through my fucking window. That was that was vintage stained glass. Like, um, but I think it, the 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 version Miller kind of uh, portrays this as is uh, a lot more believable, and I and I like that it is not taking away from the original origin at all. Because right. if someone were to throw that away, I would understand that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Uh, he decided not to and almost almost keep that campiness with a a bit of a more grounded take on it. So I, I enjoyed it a lot. I can totally see the Pattinson version of uh, Batman saying something yeah. like this too. Totally. I think he's probably the only Batman we've had so far that I can believe that in, uh, that line coming out of. Um, uh, for context, we haven't seen it yet as of recording, so uh, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This, this will this will be out after the fact. So no, this will be out before. I think. I think we were saying it was yeah, yeah. This will be out before. before. Right, cool. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but so yeah, definitely agree with that. Uh, I can't wait to see what Pattinson ends up doing. Um, so yeah, this is a very different origin than what you would imagine for Batman. He's like, again, not very good at his job. Even when he puts the suit on, like it's too big for him. He doesn't feel like a monster. A lot of times when you see Batman, he's draped in shadow and you know, he's scary. Um, And even with the fact that he's wearing a costume, he kind of looks more like a psycho than a, a, a monster, you know, larger than life creature. And I like that. It humanizes Batman. It makes him feel like just another cog in the wheel of justice of Gotham rather than this massive creature that overshadows Gotham. He feels like he's a part of it, 
rather than just being it. And I think the perfect juxtaposition for what I just said is uh, is Harvey Dent and Jim Gordon because they, they're also doing the same thing that Batman is doing, and they're in the trenches, especially Jim Gordon. He's fighting. He's getting beat up, shot at, you know, his kid stolen. He's dealing with a lot of bad stuff, and Batman isn't, like, presented as being superhuman in comparison to what Jim Gordon can accomplish um, or in comparison to what Harvey Dent can accomplish from the legal side. Rereading this, I didn't realize how little Harvey Dent is in this. Yeah. Um, I think I sometimes mm-hmm. get this conflated with Long Halloween, which is essentially a Harvey Dent story. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But the amount of Jim Gordon in this is really, I always remember that being like, oh, year one, you mean the Jim Gordon book? Like, right. <laughs> he's right. essentially in it more than Bruce is, honestly. Um, and whereas with Bruce, it's very, it's a very internal story. Um, I don't, he barely talks in this outwardly. It's mostly internal dialogue, like internal monologuing um, or, or note writing is how they present it. Right. Um, which would be smart as a paper trail. Yeah. Um, but uh, most of the actual character work is Jim Gordon in this, in which I really enjoy. And like, I don't know what, how my timeline is, but like, I, I can't imagine Jim Gordon really was an integral supporting character prior to this with as much depth as he as he had like is he really in like the like dark knight returns and previous to this like i can't yes he's there but like this puts him on like he... alfred level <clears throat> yeah he was in as i recall he was in returns uh but the his big moment is sort of seeing when bruce becomes batman again sure um and then he kind of l- I think toward the end, he kind of leads Gotham alongside uh, Batman. But I think, you know, after that, he's he's toast. I think it's interesting because even the movies that would follow. So this came out in 87. You got to figure to some degree. um, uh, uh, What's 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 the word I'm looking for? Batman 89. You got to figure that Batman 89 and Batman Returns were influenced by this. And yet Jim Gordon is not a factor in those movies. Um, and then when you go forward to the Schumacher stuff, he's literally in them, but he doesn't do anything. He's like just a, just an ineffectual commissioner. Um, it wouldn't be until Begins, actually, where yeah. Jim Gordon would become a central figure in a piece of batman media that's not in the comics um which i think is really interesting because of how well represented he is in this book it's weird that it would take so long for him to matter outside of it it's funny reading reading gordon's arc in this i really see where both batman begins and the dark knight kind of took yeah their gordon is essentially this gordon totally. and a lot of the beats are there you know like his his wife and kid being uh uh, like in a hostage situation, kind of calls back to like the the two face stuff. And yes, the night. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot about that. That that final page where he's in, he's shrouded in darkness, but then you you don't even see the the bat signal, but you know it's there because he's lit up from underneath. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that just reminds me of the fucking lighting in this book and the way that yeah. Kelly 
and um oh what's the the uh the, 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 the richmond lewis the way they work yeah. with just shadows and light is masterful in this um i love <laughs> gordon so I, I love this book <clears throat> i feel like this book is a bit ahead of its time oh yeah i feel like this this should be like a bendis era a book hmm. you know what i mean like uh it's it's very cinematic yeah you know i um so like i i i was i was trying to dissect your question and you know the the 89 stuff leading into the schumacher stuff and even Batman the Animated Series, you know, you get your Jim Gordon stories occasionally, but ultimately, they were, everything revolves around Batman. Everything is just another Batman adventure. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is sort of the story of Jim Gordon watching Batman come to life. And I think that's what's so ahead of its time about it is you know, seeing the perspective of the hero from the people on the ground. Yeah, that's a that's an excellent point. And it's something that we would see used a lot more later. But I can't think of a time before. So, for example, um, Earth X does it uh, to some degree when they have the conversations between the robot and uh, yeah. yeah. Um, there are a few books like that. Marvel's, I think, also does it. Yeah. Um, and you see that echoed, um, but I think that probably started here, where you're seeing this this you know origin story from the perspective of or not it doesn't even need to be an origin story, but from the perspective of a supporting character, even in the way that they engage with us, their captions, their narration boxes, mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne's is in cursive, which is harder to read, right, mm-hmm. than Jim Gordon's flat you know, um, style. And these are Jim's thoughts that we're getting in real time. Whereas Bruce's is writings, presumably from later. So even just that difference in the way that we, in the way that they engage with us is telling us who is the active character and who's sort of more passive, just in the sense of how we engage with them. Jim Gordon is the everyman. And it's funny you bring up those the, the way the narration the narration boxes are with Jim Gordon being in just normal handwriting. You know, it's not cursive or anything. On like it looks like it's yellowed paper. It's like legal yeah. paper. Yeah. Um. So it gives it a very like man on the street level feel. While Bruce's mm-hmm. is on pristine white paper and in fancy script <laughs> font, like a fancy rich boy he is. Um, yeah. But Bruce's is also like the way he writes is very almost Rorschachy. It's like beat 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 it's not flowery at all so it's like that it, it, it's it's developing the characters even within just the text yeah. which is really interesting um i was looking at like who, how batman was right before 87 so in 86 it was a uh, doug mentioned tom mandrake's batman which was really just an evolution of silver age batman so like this is yeah you're right ahead of its time and i think the whereas in doom patrol we were talking about how like the current writers and artists I feel like we're taking a lot of early vertigo. Um, mm-hmm. I think go back a generation from now, we have like the mid 2000s, which like Michael Lark and GCPD. Um, 
that book wouldn't exist without this book. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it's interesting seeing like these seminal works being reflected in the more modern comics. You know, I mean, it's only like, 35 years old, but I still wouldn't consider it modern at this point, even though the style of it and both art and writing is a very modern take on it. I, I want to talk about the way that Jim Gordon is presented artistically because I think he looks awesome in this comic book. You it's know, he's a, yeah, like he's a, it's a simple, he's a simple man. You know, it's not a, not a crazy elaborate <clears throat> costume. He's got a, you know, a jacket and the red hair really pops. Like this is such a, a good looking book and the darkness that surrounds it coupled with that, that red hair just makes it stand out even more, which I love because Jim Gordon otherwise is a regular dude. So to have something that makes him stand out is awesome. But like, even just the physicality of Jim Gordon, like look at this fight, you know, um, I'm showing it on, on YouTube uh, for you guys now, but like this fight scene is really well choreographed. You see him trying to fight for his life up top. Anytime that Jim Gordon is fighting, he's fighting for his life. You know, he's fighting because yeah. He he can't just he doesn't know years and years and years and years of martial arts and he didn't tr- train with the masters. He's a regular dude. And I love that. And his fights are more visceral than Batman's because of it. Um, and you feel like he could die because you don't know. Right. Like, granted, now we know he doesn't die, whatever. But when this first came out, all bets are off. You don't know what's going to happen to Jim Gordon. So I love that. About- Sean, your mic just cut out. I think you. Hello, I'm good. Yeah. Oh, oh right. yeah. Awesome. Sorry. Yeah. Um, did you guys hear the majority of what I said? Or? Yeah. It could have like yeah. the last word. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and then also Mazzuccelli's Jim Gordon's face is very expressive, um, which surprised me this time around because of the art style. Um, a lot of times artists will take um, shortcuts, you know, and Mazzuccelli doesn't do that. Like you really see what Jim Gordon is feeling in his face. Um, it's so well done. So, so well done. Um, let's talk a little bit about the relationship between Batman and uh, Jim, because that is obviously like, Maybe the biggest contribution from year one to the bigger, larger Batman stories is that relationship. You can see this Jim Gordon in Batman Begins You can throughout the whole trilogy, frankly. Um, and again, that relationship to Batman. You can see this Jim Gordon in Scott Snyder's run. Um, that's a direct... If you told me that was the literal same Jim Gordon... And every story before that was just a continuation to get to that. It makes perfect sense. It feels like the same character. Um, visually, it feels the same as well, which I love. Um, that is, in my opinion, the biggest contribution to Batman lore is that relationship. The defining of that relationship, I think, is what's yeah. uh, important. Uh, because, uh, you know, like we were saying earlier, we always saw before this you know, Batman shows up, you know, Gordon lights the the light, Batman shows up or sneaks in a window. Oh, uh, hey, what up, buddy? Right. Oh, famous Batman quote. Hey, what yeah. up, buddy? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I, I think, I mean, yeah, I think, yeah, it solidifies the relationship between Gordon and Batman, you know, where it's more of a partnership, really. Mm-hmm. It's like an unspoken mm-hmm. partnership. But I think this also really solidified the relationship between Batman and GCPD and really kind of fleshed out the GCPD as a multi-layered thing. You know, it wasn't just mm. police, you know. Some of these police are as corrupt and, or even more so than the criminals themselves. Um, and seeing that really added nuance to that relationship, but also helps Gordon appreciate Batman more in this mm-hmm. and then builds that relationship between them as uh, not even unwitting, unwilling partners. Um, but I think it puts them at least in each other's eyes on like the same page. One of the things that in this is that Batman, you see him early on, he's just chilling with Harvey Dent. Like, um, and they don't really flesh that out as much as no. I had hoped. Yeah. Um, maybe it wasn't a tie in somewhere. No, I don't think I did that back then, but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's just seeing how Harvey knows that, like, oh, the police can only really do so much in the city. And he kind of lets things, you know, go by. And that's the realization that happens. And we get the name drop of the Joker at the end, too. Right. Um, to show, like, how, oh, because Batman's here, now other weirdos are coming in. So um, seeing Gordon realize where where his limitations are and where he can leverage Batman in this, was, it's, it's great, Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned Harvey because I did want to talk about him a little bit. He's not really that present in the book, um, as we said earlier, but he is there and they don't go out of their way to explain how Batman and Harvey Dent connected at all. That's a relationship that gets explored more in the long Halloween, but here it's just a fact that they're working together to some degree. And what that underscores, even though, you know, you may or may not have known it at the time, but what it underscores is Harvey Dent's willingness to play outside the rules from even this point in his life. He's to some degree willing to break the rules and bend them for justice. And that crack is what opens the door for Two-Face. This shows that it was always there to some degree, not the malicious aspect, but that willingness on his part. Whereas, Jim Gordon doesn't really turn that corner on Batman until he knows that Batman is a good person. And what it took for him to know that is for him to save his son. But until that point, he wasn't like actively pursuing Batman with the intent of locking him up and really chasing him, but he wasn't comfortable with Batman existing either. Um, I think he saw that as like a potentially necessary evil because he didn't know for sure what Batman was or was about. So I like that, that kind of relationship between the three of them. Um, let's, uh, let's talk about Catwoman a little bit. We haven't talked about Catwoman yet. Selena, other than my saying she's black, which I don't know, you know, someone are you seeing me. like Grace Jones as like a Catwoman. In this? That's, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so she's another one who's like not a major player in the story, but she is a factor. Her story kind of runs parallel to Batman's. Um, and this is the first example that we have of Bruce Wayne putting a costume on, inspiring other people to do it to some degree. Um, 
they kind of do it at this almost at the same time, but Batman exists first. And then Selena decides she wants to get involved and she puts on her costume, but she has different motivations than Batman does. What did you guys feel about Catwoman here and kind of how this book sets the table for their relationship for the next 30 plus years? For, for me, I think the, the main takeaway I get from Catwoman in this is, is a it's like a, a nice little side dish, like her origin in this. It's not really fleshed out, but we do see it happening. Um, but I think, and I'm in agreement with you here, is that I think her inclusion in this is to really show that what Batman becoming and pretty much forces Gotham to evolve in a way, yeah. um, yeah. including, you know, Selena becoming Catwoman in this. Um, and then the, the, the name drop of Joker at the end, I think it's like, oh, Batman, you know, being front and center in the news with this inciting incident for the future of Gotham City. Um, right. where we see someone evolving like Batman or, or Catwoman into this almost mythical creature in a way, juxtaposed with the everyman of James Gordon. Um, so I think Catwoman's there kind of just to, to drive that home. I, uh, I feel the same way about Selena Kyle and Catwoman as I do uh, as Bruce Wayne and Batman. It, when Frank Miller is attached to them, I don't like them. <laughs> they are completely unlikable to me. <laughs> when you say don't like, do you mean like you don't enjoy reading them, or you just like don't like them as like I? I don't like them as people. I don't like them okay. as characters. I don't like them as people. Uh, I have to follow around and see the thoughts of. Um, my least favorite Batman is the one that talks about. His enemy combatants, and he has to go into the enemy's camp, and they, I, you know, I, that's just the, I that that's not my Batman. That's not how my Batman talks. He's not he's not a soldier. He's a you know, he's a hero. So you um, love Dark Knight Strikes Back. Love Dark Knight Strikes Back. <laughs> <sighs> um. And similarly, Selena Kyle in this for me is just, I, it's just, it's an edge. It's a, it's a little too hardcore, I guess, for me. I just don't, I don't like them. That's interesting. Um, I, I really, I really like this version of Selena. I think at the time it was probably, you know, shocking to readers to see her this way. Mm -hmm. She's a prostitute. And you maybe a maybe some kind of a pimp to her own degree. We don't really know because of whatever's going on with Holly. Um, but she hates her job. She's not into it. She'll do it, but she's not about it. Um, and the first chance that she has to do something different, she takes it. Um, but it's that inspiration of seeing someone step up and do something about what Gotham is that causes her to have. I guess the confidence or the idea of pushing herself out there as well and donning the Catwoman suit. Um, I really appreciated that. And one scene that hammered that home for me was the difference between Catwoman or Selena when Bruce first comes to East End 
and fights the pimp and gets stabbed by Holly and all that good stuff mm. and what she's like after because she doesn't want to she doesn't immediately jump into the fray she sees the pimp manhandle Holly and all that and she's watching it from the from the the window and she doesn't do anything and we get the feeling that she wants to be this fierce protector and we see how violent she gets later but at this particular moment in time she's hesitant it's only when she puts the costume on now she has you know the willingness to go up against the top crime boss in gotham which is insane well and even even still you watch her progression toward that right um through the book um you know she uh when the batman shows up at, at uh um the the dinner you know no it's the aban- it's the abandoned tenement building the mm-hmm. crux of issue 3 um they she and holly go watch the whole thing and they're right there kale you bring up you don't really like how frank miller writes catwoman along with with bruce um i'm trying to think of a a time then frank miller wrote a female character that wasn't just uh a someone who is inspired by another male character. Like, I, hmm. how's like, his you, Electra? Just, any idea? Um, even then Electra, I think is, is just a, I think he's, I mean, it's much later in his career compared to, to, to what this is, but even then Electra's is inspired by Daredevil, you know, like it's just a, hmm. a, a, a deviation from Daredevil. Um, I'm just wondering if you don't like the way Frank Miller writes woman, which I think is perfectly fair. <laughs> um, it's not, I don't think it's very nuanced at all. Even Electra is yeah. pretty much force of nature, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm reminded of his his Wonder Woman uh, in Strikes Again. You know, while oh, yeah. though he's on the the brink of lunacy, you know, Frank Miller is. <laughs> By the time that book comes out, she's very dude up. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. She's very um, masculine coded, like like you're saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, male coded, I guess. Um, yeah, there's a, a strength to his female characters for sure. Yeah, but I don't know. It's I think it's it's difficult to look at that and say that's good representation. I guess. Uh, as as um um you know a, a good character representation sure like I'm, I'm thinking of his three main female characters that i can think of being selena in this electra and carrie kelly mm. all gain their strength from their male counterparts in a way i think electra is probably the most strongest out of those in terms of being a little more standalone. Um, yeah, I don't know if Electra really belongs in that category. Because she does get her powers through the hand and sure, she's, sure, you know, sure. trained and stuff like that. Did um, he create Electra? I, I don't question. know, but I don't yeah. think so. I'm gonna I'm gonna look that up. Um I wanted to say when it comes to Catwoman, one of the things that I read in preparation for this was that, you know, 
she was kind of like he he did he did create yeah, Electra Daredevil yeah. one sixty eight hmm. yep cool there you go wow um but prior to this Catwoman was like a child's fantasy slash fear so if you look at Batman right Batman is very much you know the manifestation of a child's fears about losing their family and about the world being scary. Mm-hmm. So that's why Batman exists. That's why Batman befriends his best friend as a child, because he is a child in a sense. He's, you know, he's stuck in that, you know, um, arrested development due to what he witnessed. And also the fact that Batman was written for kids. Batman was mm-hmm. written for children to relate to. So, you know, that's why he's friends with, with uh, Robin. Catwoman is like, you know how like women are icky, you know, girls icky for kids. Catwoman is like the scariness of going into maturity. She's a mature woman, you know, and it's like, whoa, I'm a child. I don't know how to deal with how I feel about that. Here, Catwoman is not that. Catwoman is very much her own person. She doesn't exist to tease and titillate Mm. not Batman and not uh, not really us either. That's her. That's what she's doing in the story when we meet her, but that's not her role in the story. Whereas it was before Um, here, even the way she's drawn, she's, she looks powerful. You know, she's got a body that looks strong. She's, she appears to be tall. Um, Her hair is short, not long. And, you know, flowy, which of course makes you think of more feminine qualities. She's hardened by Gotham. And it makes sense that that's how she would be because this is a hard world. And look at how she's living. She's living really rough. Um, And so I guess I can understand why you don't like her. And I think that's probably based more on Frank Miller's specific writing of her. I think conceptually, it makes sense that she would be this way. And I think that other characterizations remove some of the reality from who she is or who she would be to soften her a little bit and make her more palatable. Sorry, that was long, but it makes perfect sense. You're absolutely right. Especially in terms of the way Frank writes her, Uh, because this whole book is about the reality of Gotham city. And I think that's the thing that's sort of missing in any other depiction up to you know batman begins yeah because even 89 is fantastical yeah sense yeah well like what uh tyler you brought up the the gcpd um you know up to now i don't know what stories there would have been where the entire police force was corrupt i'm sure maybe there are some you know maybe our listeners can tell us but uh, you know, the entire police force is corrupt. What in what world would uh, a city with a functioning police force need a guy who dresses up as a bat right. to come, you know, do the dang thing? Mm-hmm. And I, I love that you said that because Gotham here, I think this is probably. This is probably the first time, and again, I don't know this for a fact, where people really started to think of Gotham as a character unto itself, because it really is this dark place that seems to suck everybody else into it. That's the way it's presented almost from the word go. Jim Gordon is terrified of coming here, 
and he's terrified of his wife coming here, of having a child here. Mm-hmm. Um, Gotham is a dark, scary place, and it needs Batman because of that. I'm reminded of like the Force and how the Force pulls, it, it creates its heroes and its villains out of necessity and balance. Um, Gotham mm-hmm. drew Jim and Bruce back to it, but unfortunately, it did that to fight the corruption that exists. And because of how good Batman is, now it needs the Joker to be that counterbalance. And I love mm-hmm. that depiction of Gotham. From a visual standpoint, it's horrible. It's not the, um, it's not as gothic as it would be in 89. It has a more mundane quality to it that you see in Begins. Um, mm-hmm. The real like oranges, uh, the kind of like general dirtiness of, of it. Um, and that make, that gives it life. Uh, it gives it life that makes it feel lived in. And I think that's what this book is about in a lot of ways, is that Gotham is has been like this. Bruce's parents died because of this. And he's back to make sure that that doesn't happen again. And Gotham needs him. Um, I want to talk about the, 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 the action scenes, because we really haven't talked too much about that. And I think that some of the most defining action sequences are actually in this book as it relates to Batman. Brilliantly um, designed. I talked a little bit about Jim Gordon earlier and some of his action sequences, which I think are all brilliant. But the crux of this comic book from an action standpoint is that fight in the abandoned building between Batman and the GCPD. Mm -hmm. We've seen that done beautifully in the films in Batman Begins. I'm not even sure that that is better than this. Uh, obviously, it's it's cinematic and stuff like that, but I think from in, in a comp from a comic standpoint, this is as good as it gets. I think it it it's it's gritty. And I hate that fucking word gritty. I think it's only good when it's talking about a hockey mascot. But like, yeah, don't go to Philly. <laughs> um, but it, it does make it a more you know it gets rid of the whole Batman as a superhero thing. He it makes him more realistic. I mean, he's just fighting cops. Like, there is right. no villain of this, really. The villain is the GCPD, in a way. Um, but that, that fight in the abandoned tenement building is just so... so dirty, and nothing goes according to plan. Um, it's messy. <laughs> mm. uh, I think that, that, that bit where the thermite in, uh, in Batman's uh, utility belt ignites almost immediately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just really, it's like, oh, okay, this is this is Batman in, in outside of his element. He does not have all his gadgets and stuff. He's got to right. just go off of wits. And yeah, he has a super fancy sonar device that attracts a swarm of bats, sure. But um, he's got to like fend for his life in this. Uh, and, and I think that's what I enjoyed about it. It's just this real, it, it, it turns a guy who's dressed like a bat wearing underoos into something almost realistic. Um, yeah. And then the angles that Matt Kelly uses in this are just, there's a lot of, it's, I don't want to even say it's cinematic. It, 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 there's some weird choices in this. There's, there's angle, there's, there's panels that are like peaked behind corners to give you, you know, Bruce's POV as he's trying to navigate this building. Mm-hmm. Um, there's weird like undershots of some of the, the, the GCPD that are like kind of like viewing them from, from a lower angle to kind of have you be with Bruce as he's just trying to crawl around and just survive. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's really good. And, and the, the, the sound effects in this, the way the sound effects, yeah. work, they're just so good. I love, I love a well written onomatopoeia, you know, 
Yeah, I'm exactly. Holding, yeah, I'm holding up a page from that sequence that Tyler is referencing, and uh, the sound effects is just, you know, it's representing bullet hail, and you can see in the colors, you know, it goes from, like, normal up top for you guys on YouTube. It goes from normal up top, uh, normal colors, and then it starts to get red. As the presumably the bullet hail goes on, Batman gets shot. It gets more dangerous. Now it's red. I really love that transition. Just amazing Video visual storytelling. Sorry, video games stole that. Uh, you know, a, a decade yeah. later. <laughs> yeah, you know, totally. The more damage you take, point. the more red the screen gets. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm flipping through this, and the the part when the bats finally fly in to kind of make the save in a way. Um, the way the background is colored, the same yellow that the bat symbol is. Mm -hmm. um, with all mm -hmm. the bats in it i was like oh he's you know the bat that kind of sh shines light upon like the city and it's like oh it's just a well done choice you know brilliant yeah i i wonder i wonder so where the um the the page uh let's see it'd be 73 when the bats come over everybody mm -hmm. this top one the top panel i wonder if that's supposed to be like the bat that flew through Bruce's window. Same exact one. Yeah. <laughs> or or like that's, you know, the the you know the holistic connection Frank Miller was, you know, making or whatever. Interesting. I mean he's not Grant Morrison, but you know, he's got his own thing I going mean, on. I'm flipping through both pages where the bat, you know, breaks in. Um and the bat breaks in previously the same yellow background, except the bat's yeah. white in that because it's kind of blown out. But it's the same kind of pose. Yeah, it's a direct callback to it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, bats only have four poses, so yeah, not a lot to choose from. Um, yeah, one of the things that's, that we see in that sequence, though, and we see it throughout the book, especially at the climax when Bruce rescues uh, Jim Gordon's son, is that this version of Batman cares about saving every single person. Mm. And that's something that I feel like storytellers have gotten away from in later years it's not that bruce doesn't care if people die it's just that writers often don't focus on showing that he cares if people die he literally tries to save every single person that he can and that makes that's a weakness for him because it puts him in danger in the beginning of the book where he's trying to save that that goon from falling and they hit him with a tv and all this kind of crazy stuff he could easily beat them up if he lets this dude go, but he won't do that because he doesn't want to kill. And it's not some edict. It's not a rule that they beat us over the head with. He's just a good person and doesn't want to have people die unnecessarily. That's his entire mission statement. And I think it's it sets it better here than anywhere else because they always focus on the on the edict. And I don't care about that. I care about him being a good a good man. You know what I mean? Even in this, he saves a cat, you know? Right. It's yeah. every life matters. And, and yeah. Like, yeah, he has a blowgun, and, like, that's his only thing, which also non-lethal. Um, but if this was, like, a video game, you'd use the blowgun, and then you steal the guy's gun that you just knocked out. You know, like, he's he's <laughs> he's almost imposing these limitations on himself. Right. Um, because he has the edict. But they, <laughs> they don't never, you know, explicitly state that or anything like that. It's just more of part of the story rather than something exactly. said to you over and over again. I guess the only the only qualm I would have with that is later on in the um, uh, after he takes on the Roman with uh, 
Catwoman. Mm. He's speaking to Alfred and he's frustrated at how it went or whatever. And he goes, uh, he says something to the effect of, oh, I could have crippled the kid. And I, you know, I don't know if he just means that in like the, you know, the fact of maybe just like, you know, he's using cripple as incapacitate or if, you know, he's like, oh, I could have paralyzed that dickwad and I would have been, you know, over another famous Batman line. I, I read it as, yeah, that's great. That was uh, <laughs> Snyder's, right? Um, yeah, sounds right. I, I read it as like, oh, I could have crippled him and then none of this would happen again with him. I I think Almost he's questioning he's, his own methods. He's kind of he's kind of like um, thinking out loud because he he realizes why that wouldn't have worked immediately after he says, "I should have crippled the Roman's nephew. It would have bought us time," um, which of course is not murder, anyways. But then he says, "No, he'd have just gotten somebody else. At least I know who he's using." So he's kind of like, "Man, I could have I could have just crippled this dude." And I'd be, you know, everything would be fine. But then he's like, eh, that wouldn't have worked anyway. Like, he's he's working through it out loud is how I took mm-hmm. it. Um, but we do see this commitment to preserving life. And I, I hope that we see that more often, that Batman doesn't have to be this ruthless, you know, not that he murders people, but a ruthless crippler. Like, he can just beat people to where he needs to and then move on. Um. I wanted to quickly go back before, as we get closer to ending things, I want to quickly go back to Jim Gordon because we glossed over this essential um, piece of him. The fact that he has an affair. Mm. How did you, how do you guys feel about that story? Be? And why do you think he, why do you think it's, it's here? I think it's here too. you know, the same way that this book aims to humanize Bruce and Batman as a concept. I think it's mm. there to do the same for Gordon. Like, sure, he can be this, you know, good cop no matter what sort of thing. But I think adding a layer of him that isn't necessarily good, especially because he's having an affair with his preg uh, uh, with his pregnant wife, you know. So it's like, oh, it's it's bad plus. Um, I think it's it's meant to humanize him. I think it does. Um, yeah, he's he comes into the GCPD as this white knight, you know this. He's uh, he comes in. Uh, Loeb says he uh, uh, told on a, another officer, right? Reported another officer for corruption or something, yeah. and so he's already got uh, a bad reputation or a good reputation in a bad place. Um, he comes in as a white knight. Um, you know, a shining example of a person and they have to, the, the, the lobe has to get something on him eventually because he's a good person, even though he makes mistakes. Hmm. Um, but he's a person. He's not just, you know, a concept. He's not just a white knight. Yeah. I, I, I've always taken it as um, Frank Miller saying very subtly that Gotham corrupts even the best people in it. 
Hmm. And that the stress of what Jim Gordon, because Jim Gordon explicitly says to Loeb, like, you'll never have to worry about my honesty. Yeah. And here he is cheating on his wife, right? Um, he catches himself. They, she catches herself, whatever. They, they stop. They don't go all the way. At least that's, we, we get the impression that they don't. But something is causing him to act out. And I take that to be Gotham itself. Um, but again, that's not really inside the text. So that's just my read. Um, and even and even still, uh, he tells his wife, right? Uh, you know about us. We assume everything. So yeah. Loeb still doesn't catch him, you know, in his honesty. Exactly. Did you guys catch how like Barbara looked different almost every single time we saw her? <laughs> yeah, I think lighting controls a lot of the uh, like the the shadows and this controls the colors, and I think it. Yeah. At least it gets lost in at least the reprinted modern version of it that I have. I don't know if it necessarily looked at like that when it was in single issues, but yeah. So the last thing that I want to talk about is just this book's legacy. Um, I, I discussed how, you know, it came out over 30 years ago. Um, and so I, I really want to know, like, how do you guys feel this book holds up? How do you feel about its legacy and its sort of uh, its impact on on uh, on you know pop culture uh, and actually there's a perfect time to insert a question from uh our discord uh matt sent us in a question uh relating to this book he says do you think year one in terms of batman's depiction in film video games television and comics is the most influential of miller's batman contribution all these years later to answer matt's question the answer is yes like in terms of miller's work Yes. Um, I think if we're not, if we're, you know, just saying Batman work in general, I would say, uh, I would say this and the animated series are probably the most influential and in, sorry, influential for media as a whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of Miller's work, yeah, I, I think a lot of people, especially nowadays, almost fight against the, you know, Dark Knight Strikes Back, you know, Dark Knight Returns Batman. Unless you're the DCFU, which they tried embracing that, and uh, that seems to be uh, it seems to have backfired on them in a way. Um, and it's almost weird seeing them embrace that version of Miller's Batman, and now kind of stepping back and going back to you know the well of what the Dark Knight and Batman Begins took that worked, and kind of incorporating that into what appears to be the Batman and Matt Reeves's Batman with Pattinson. Yeah. Um, I think the importance of this book for the Batman mythos is evident. Like every Batman book after this took something from this. Um, Some books went a little crazy with it. You know, I'm thinking like Snyder's Batman where Jim Gordon becomes Batman in a way where I think it did take aspects of this even from it. In a way. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It went a little little crazy. I enjoyed it though. Me Um, too. Yeah, I think that's a very under underappreciated uh, arc of Batman. Um, but I think in terms of what this, how this influenced comics in general, I think is almost even more important. Um, mm. I think this cinematic art style and um, the the he doesn't really Mascali doesn't really play with panels as much in right. this. Uh, it's very. 
I don't want to say basic, but it, it is comics. You know, it's just certain organized panels. Um, but the the angles and the pacing of it, there's a lot of up-close shots. I think that was something that I don't think was really done as much previous to this. Um, I think that is much more represented in modern comics. Um, and, you know, I think... I would almost even say like something like this in terms of what it does for superhero comics is similar to like Watchmen in a way. I just don't think people recognize it as much. Um, I love this book if you can't tell, but yeah. Oh, you kill. I think, I wonder how much of the seeds, what, what am I, what am I trying to say here? The see how um, how much of this is in Dark Knight Returns, um, the book, because it okay. you know came out a few years before, um, and it is it is just a very different book, you know. Frank Miller did all that himself, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, with Klaus, Klaus Jansen on inks, I think. Um, I I just I don't know. I I I I I think you're absolutely right, Tyler. I think um, I think this takes what's fundamental about Batman and the characters in his world and refines them and refines them in a layer of reality that um it it adds grime to everything um and i think you know like i said earlier i think for a character like batman to exist that has to that has to happen but it makes me wonder, I guess, is is this in the same, I don't know, continuity as Dark Knight Returns? You know, the Miller-verse or whatever. I think one distinction being is that Dark Knight Returns was made as a standalone thing, whereas yeah. this was just the next issue of Batman. Yeah. So I think this one probably had a little more structure needed, maybe editorially. Mm-hmm. I know they were rebooting, you know, essentially rebooting at the time, but um, and there was probably a little more stringency that needed to be had. I'm, I'm going off of conjecture. I don't know for sure, but yeah. From what I read, um, Miller's hesitancy, he didn't want to do it. Uh, his hesitancy mm-hmm. was that he had total freedom with Dark Knight Returns. He thought this was going to be a graphic novel. So he was comfortable with that because it could be outside of continuity. Once he was told that they were just going to be the next issues of Batman, he didn't want to do it because he didn't want to adhere to any type of established canon. He was told by Denny O'Neill, who was the editor at the time, listen, do whatever you're going to do. Like, it's not going to matter in terms of you're not going to be hindered by canon. We rebooted everything. Just go nuts. And so because Miller got the green light, he decided, okay, then I'm just going to do everything. He didn't want to alienate batman's history with this story and so it's all still canon 
He just wanted to reintroduce Batman into the modern era. Mm. Um, so to answer Matt's question, uh, I would say um, I think that it definitely is the most influential. Um, I don't think that there, I, I don't know that there's even really a debate, to be honest. Um, I think re- for everything that Returns gave to Batman, um, year one gave that much more. And it also created a baseline that anyone yeah. could pull from because Returns is too extreme for that. Year one is a baseline that could be pulled from for any medium that could be a Batman that anyone could enjoy and didn't have the edge to it that Returns did that made it, for some people, too much. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think the answer has to be yes. Um, And then, you know, look, frankly, you can make the argument that every single time that an element of Year One has been utilized elsewhere, it's been done better by at least one of those things. You could make that argument. You can make the argument that Begins is a better origin. You can make the argument that, you know, um, the, 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 the tenement scene is better in Begins. You can make the argument that Catwoman's been used better, that, you know, Long Halloween does a better job of showcasing the relationship between Bruce, Gordon, and, and uh, Dent, and that the Dark Knight takes that to another level. You can make that argument for every element, but they all came from this. Mm. And that does it. That means that without this, there is no that. So whether you think those things are better or not, this is the definitive Batman. Um, to me, to me, some people have different takes, but you think without this, we'd still have uh, Scooby Doo Batman? You know, like <laughs> like the ones that when, when Batman and Robin would show up in Scooby Doo, like the, little, oh, oh, the, the oh, campier, oh. almost yeah a direct continuation of the Adam West Batman. So, so my thought is this DC already wanted to do something different with Batman. That's part of their mission statement of post-crisis DC. Batman was going to change. The question is, would that change be something that would become the way forward? And I think if you put any other creative team in the driver's seat of this, it probably doesn't have the same staying power. It probably doesn't change the course of Batman's history, the course of comics history in the same way, because uh, Miller's vision for Batman fits so well. Look at the nineties, you know, look at what the world became. The world fit year. the world fit Batman based on year one better than it did any other possible version of Batman. I would also point out that there was an era where Batman was a lot more, uh james bond in between this and the scooby-doo era um you know which i i from what i understand was also wildly popular um you know i I, i'm thinking specifically of sort of around the time of uh jason todd um you know he went around and did secret agent shit uh it it wasn't relegated like just to Gotham either, right? Like, didn't he like right? Yeah, over the place, yeah. And I think I think that's why Jason Todd died in a like Afghanistan or some shit. Yeah, he and Miller because the fans hated him. <laughs> well, I mean, like, but my point is, like, he he went out of the country, yeah, and yeah, yeah. you know, if it were any yeah. other book or era, he would have stayed in Gotham and you know whatever. Yeah, and like after year one, 
Batman never leaves Gotham. If he does, it's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. We have a we have a couple of other questions that came in, so we're just gonna hit those before we close out. Um, so Manny from Discord said, uh, "Would y'all consider it to be the best beginning of the Batman?" Again, you can make the argument. Yeah, you can make the argument for Begins. You can make the argument for aspects of Mask of the Phantasm. You can make it for animated series to some degree. There are a lot of possibilities. Uh, for me, I think this is the best, partially because of how definitive it is. Um, I would love to say Begins, but I think Begins is very specific to that version of Batman that Nolan was working with and where he was trying to go. Whereas this bat from, from this point, you can go a lot of different places with Batman. Um, and so again, it's that perfect baseline. For me, it's the perfect one as well. Like not only just from like a storytelling standpoint, but also from like an accessibility standpoint. Yeah. Like I can hand this to anyone and they don't need, they don't even need to know who Batman is, honestly. Nope. And they get, they do, they get everything. But... In this. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree completely. Uh, and then the last one is from Viltrum Warrior, who said, Frank Miller has never shied away from his anti-authoritarian politics in his comics, and this comic has Batman's ultimate enemy be police corruption. Could this story be written today, and would modern readers want to read something like this? Modern readers would say that the DC's pushing an agenda is what, what it would be, and there would be uh, a dozen different YouTube channels saying... Uh, Batman is anti anti cop, and there would be other YouTube channels just reacting to those YouTube. It would be a mess right now. Um, well, and and I also think you know a lot of people in the time of you know like Denny O'Neill as the the editor of this you know is well known for trying to tackle real world issues in the in in his books. Um, so you know I think I think without the specific people even behind Frank Miller and, and Mazzuccelli, um, you know, I think without them, it, it couldn't have happened. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely think it's a perfect storm, you know, and sometimes you get those books that just hit at the right time with the right people behind it in the right climate socially um, similar to Watchmen. Would, would Watchmen penetrate today the same way? No. But it, 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 it came out when it needed to. Um, and so do I think readers, I don't think readers would accept this same story today for a million different reasons. By reader's standard today, this is basic. But the fact <laughs> of the matter is that this story from a technical standpoint is about as good as it gets. Um, there are very, very few things that I think could be done better, if anything. And also, I also think read it, readers would think this was basic because this invented it exactly like, like <laughs> this book is of course it's basic it it's it like yeah. this is what other books come from and also i think the context of frank miller is a person who lived in hell's kitchen in the 80s in mm. new york City. yeah i think that lends a lot of context to his mind or totally. his, where he kind of sits in his in his worldview um new york city hell's kitchen around the 80s Fun place. Fun place. <laughs> yeah. So uh, thank you to everybody who sent questions in. Those came from our Discord. You should definitely come and hang out with us over there. Join us and you can send questions in ahead of the release of these book clubs so you can be a part of the conversation. I had a blast talking about Batman Year One. Reading this got me that much more excited for um, the Batman 
And now I don't know if I could be more excited. I, I can't wait to see what it takes from this, even though we understand a lot of what it what it's taking already. Um, but I can't wait to see how influenced it is by this. This is the definitive Batman. It's not my favorite Batman story because Grant Morrison's Batman exists. But outside mm. of that, I got this and The Long Halloween as my top three. Um, I love this story. I always will. And I'm very, very grateful that we got to go back and uh, read it again. It's funny, Sean, your, your top three might be my top three, too. So, yeah. yeah. It might actually be my top three. Mm, awesome. Wow. That's we cool. We agree on Batman, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Don't agree on much, but when it comes to Batman. Uh, so, again, thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. If you want to share your thoughts about year one with us and you haven't gotten to do so already, definitely leave us a comment in the comment section below, wherever it is that you're listening to this. YouTube.com slash The Comics Pals. Subscribe to our channel for free. Like the video. Share it with your friends. All that stuff's free to do, and it helps us out a lot more than it costs you. Join our Discord server, as I said before. Twitch.tv slash The Comics Pals on Saturdays, live at 10 for the main show. Wednesdays, live at 6 for Pals Pulls. We appreciate you guys listening so much. Until next month, take care, guys. See you next month.